UConn team to the Final Four. As he has just given Gonzaga their worst loss of the season. And the sixth Final Four in the history of the Connecticut Huskies. All six of those Final Fours have come since 1999. No team has been more dominant in the last 23 years than UConn. Will Dan Hurley become the third UConn men's coach to win a national championship and claim the Huskies' fifth overall title? Tell you what, it's their tournament to lose. I know everyone else feels that way. Vegas feels that way. That's why they're five-and-a-half-point favorite over Miami. That's why of the four teams in the Final Four, Florida Atlantic, San Diego State, Miami, and UConn, UConn is the only one at minus odds to win it all, minus 125. The other teams are all plus. That means you have to bet 125 to win $100. This team was built for this moment. They have bulldozed their way through the non-conference part of their schedule. They are 15-0 against non-Big East teams. They have won by an average of 25.5 points a game. Teams like Alabama, Iowa State, Oregon, Oklahoma State, Gonzaga, Arkansas, an average of 25.5 points. So impressive. So yes, all signs are pointing to UConn. But in one game, win or go home, I'm not counting my chickens before they're hatched. Anything can happen. Heck, if St. John's can beat UConn at the XL Center, Miami can sure as hell beat them in Houston. So let's bring on a man who knows this UConn team as well as anyone, our good friend Dave Borges, who covers UConn for ctinsider.com and the Hearst Media Group. Dave, good to talk to you again. How you doing? Good to see you. How's things going, Brian? Things are great. You know, having a Big East team there in the Final Four, I really wish we had Creighton. But, um, you know, it, it's nice to have UConn in there. And you look at these four teams, Dave, I mean, how do you how do you not like UConn? I know any, anything can happen in a one-game situation, but, boy, you're talking about all these teams there for the first time, and here's Blue Blood UConn with four banners coming in. Look, they're, they're, there's no question they're the heavy favor. They should be. Um, now, of course, none of these kids have been to a Final Four before, and neither has Dan Hurley, whereas uh, actually Jim Laranega has been. In fact, he got there by beating UConn back in 2006 with George Mason. So in that sense, um, yeah, I mean, UConn certainly looks like sort of the blue blood program of these four. The other three have never been here. But in terms of the, the actual players and coaches having been here, none of them have on UConn's side, other than assistant coach Tom Moore. So... Yeah, but but then they have a favorite just because of the way they've been playing. Uh, just they've been dominating every team they've played so far, looking really good on both ends, so, ends of the court. And um, no question, they will, will be the favorite to win in uh, in Houston. Yeah, but as we know, in a one game, this isn't the NBA Finals where best of seven takes place, and sometimes the you know the underdog can win in these moments. Uh, so many times, time and time again. How does this team avoid being overconfident? Because Dave, what they're doing, you know, beating teams the way they're beating them by an average of 22 and a half points a game in the tournament. Uh, have you talked to them about that? 
Yeah, we kind of talked about that a little bit today. And, and I think there's a one, how to keep them from being overconfident. I think there's a one word answer, January. They mm. went to January 14 and 0. They were beating everybody by double digits, including uh, Alabama, who uh, ended up being the number one overall seed in the tournament. Um, they this on a neutral floor. On a neutral floor, they beat to Iowa State, a very good team on a neutral floor. They won at Florida. They beat Oklahoma State at home. 14 and 0, clobbering everybody. January comes around, Big East play. All of a sudden, at one point, they lost uh, six out of eight. And 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 you know, I asked. After the first loss, they lost at Xavier on New Year's Eve. Um, I asked Adama Sanogo, did you guys think you could go undefeated this year? And he, he admitted that the players had talked about that. They thought it was a possibility, as unrealistic as that really was. But So they were flying high with confidence, and all of a sudden they got a huge reality check and lost six of those eight games. And So I think that is good. was good for them, ultimately, because it shows that if they don't continue to play – hard uh you know espouse all of the uh ideals that dan hurley tries to instill with them and um and keep don't keep their eyes on the prize and get overconfident then uh, they could trip up and lose just like they did in january so when they lost to marquette in the semifinals did you think that they would be able to regroup and get to the final four i always thought it was possible i mean uh Certainly, the um, the reality check in January, you know, Hurley had, had, had kind of preached all along, and I agreed with him that getting out of uh, Big East play was going to be big for them because you look, you saw how good they were in non-conference play, playing teams that weren't as familiar with them, playing teams that play a different style, not the kind of drag it out, knock down, you know, mud fight that the Big East games can be, um, a different different sets of officials who. Uh, may let things go that Big East officials won't, wouldn't let go. All those things added up to the fact that once they got out of Big East play again, they could certainly um, have a lot of success. And uh, I think, you know, going into the tournament, I figured that they they were they could go to the Final Four, and I thought they could either even I could I thought Sweet Sixteen would kind of be like the barometer of their success. I didn't think they'd lose their first game, but they'd break get that monkey off the back and and win a game or two. And after that, it you know, depending on matchups and things like that. So they, they've, um, so I guess to answer your question, I did think that they still had a shot at the final four, but it certainly didn't look as good back in January. Yeah. I, I, I would agree with everything you're saying. You know, I, I, I figured that they would finally get to the sweet 16 and then match up against Kansas. That didn't happen. Then they matched up against Arkansas and then they beat, you know, I mean, my goodness, what, what they're doing, what they did to Gonzaga, Dave, um, and really what they did to Arkansas, how many times have we seen this year? Take the Seton Hall game, for example, right? They're up double digits. They're, they have one of the best first halves, halves of the season, and they have a huge letdown and let Seton Hall back into the game. There was no letting Arkansas back in the game. There was no letting Gonzaga in the game. As a matter of fact, they used the first four to eight minutes of that second half and increased the leads both times. Increasing the lead had been a, an issue for them. You mentioned Seton Hall. Their first Big East tournament game against Providence, they had a huge lead yeah. and almost gave that up. Um, it had been an issue, not not kind of finishing the job, uh, or at least not finishing as well as they could. And uh, but 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 now it's it again. It looks just like it resembles uh, November, December. It resembles, you know, barely even trailing. Uh, you know, actually, they hadn't trailed in the second half. Um, until um, I believe like some some game in early December, if I'm not mistaken, 
uh, it, it was unbelievable how they just kind of put the pedal to the metal from the start and never gave up. Whereas, um, you know, in Biggie's play, we did see that happen a few times. But yeah, they, they really look not, they, just, just to simplify, they really, right now, they look like they did when the back in, in November, December, when they were just dominating everybody. Yeah. And, and Hawkins is playing like Hawkins. The bench has been, has been huge, whether it's Klingon, whether it's Calcaterra, whether it's Aline. Um, you know they, they they just keep coming and 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 the bench is as big of uh has been as big a factor to them winning as has been the play of you know a, a caravan so how about this matchup against Miami um what do you think of it I, I think it's fascinating you know Larinaga uh the Wiley veteran 73 years old I mean no signs of slowing down against against Hurley at his first final four and um the dynamic backcourt and, and, and so forth. Let, let, where do we begin Dave to Matt, to set up this matchup with Miami? Well, I, you know, a lot of people are going to, well, I think on the, on the floor, like it's, it's a simplifier. You could say Miami's the, the, the backcourt among maybe the, maybe the best backcourt in the nation, certainly up there with Nigel Pack and Isaiah Wong and the kid uh, Miller, who's had a great game the other day. Um, and, uh, you know, not a lot of size up front. Now, they do have the kid, the 6'7", 240-pound kid, who um, averages over 10 rebounds a game. His name escapes me at this moment. But um, No, you're talking nothing about Norchard O'Meara. Yes, yes. Nothing to compare with, um, certainly, Adama Sinogo's dominance inside. And, and, and when he goes to the bench, Donovan Klingon, they don't lose barely anything when he comes in. So it's, it's like almost a battle of Miami's backcourt against UConn's frontcourt. But then again... UConn has a guy named Jordan Hawkins, who's uh, among the best shooting guards in the country. And certainly Naheem, uh, uh, Tristan Newton has played pretty well as a point guard. And, uh, and like I said, Miami has some, some, um, some, some good players up front. I think the most intriguing thing, as you mentioned, is the, 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 the Laranega Hurley thing. I mean, first of all, obviously you got the Laranega George Mason angle where, um, you know, they, they upset one of the, a, a UConn team that looked like they were going to win it all that year and had a bunch of NBA draft picks and, uh, and and Larinaga getting back here and you know facing UConn and just an, an excellent coach and then and then of course Dan Hurley has his maturation as a coach not just since he took over at UConn five years ago but you could even say from the start of this season um, he's gotten better he's matured he's improved um, and uh, he's just become a really good coach and learned from some of his mistakes he learned from kind of his the way he treated refs he knew he knew, had to do better than that learned how to pace the season a little bit better in terms of not killing the guys in practice come February and March and um, other things too, the willingness to try things, throwing his own defense here and there. Um, uh, just a lot of different things he's experimented with and just about everything's worked really. That's an excellent point. I, I, you know, I've noticed that maybe it was somewhere around, I don't know if it was December, maybe you have a better angle on it uh, for the first, you know, two and a half, three years of his existence at UConn, um, you know, being hot tempered, uh, getting on the officials, uh, abusing the officials. Maybe there was a moment on social media where they really picked apart what he said and, you know, had uh, cursed at one of the officials and insulted him and you could read his lips. And then suddenly you're right, Dave, do, do you pinpoint a certain moment when, yeah, he works the officials, but I guess he was more mature about it, you could say. You know, he wasn't whining and crying and cursing and flailing his arms, right? Yeah. I think you could look at the um, the aforementioned New Year's Eve loss at Xavier. He picked up a technical foul with 
I think it was two and a half, three minutes left in the game or thereabouts. It was still a close game at the time. It was still like a three, four-point game. Gets the tech, and all of a sudden they're down six. I may have the numbers a little bit confused here, but you get the general picture. Right. And um, it was really key. And then and Xavier ended up winning by 10, and UConn could never kind of recover. And, you know, look, whatever the – I don't remember the exact call that he was complaining about or uh, it was maybe a buildup of a bunch of calls or non-calls, but – Coach just can't do that. He can't hurt his team like that, getting a technical late in a close game. Um, stubbornly, maybe, but I think he understood that. He, he learned from that. Now, I know the the, the incident you mentioned about him, um, you know, I think he called uh, Jeff Anderson a, a, a bleeping clown uh, was- <laughs> during a game. That was caught on camera. That's it. And Jeff Anderson will be one of the officials of the Final Four, so yes, he will. we'll see what happens. But um that was, I think, that was a week or two after the Xavier, but, but you know, he he caught a lot of heat for all that, and I think he understood, he had to calm down. And the thing is, he has calmed down uh, even before, even with the Xavier thing. Once his teams have gotten better, it happened at Rhode Island, it's happened to UConn. Once his teams start becoming a lot better on the floor, he tends to ease off in the officials a little bit. It's been his, uh, you know, it's been his uh, arc. Uh, like I said, at, even at Wagner and then URI and, and UConn, so. He hasn't been quite as crazy. I mean, he was he was really bad uh, apparently at, early in Rhode Island. I I don't recall it. I didn't see a lot of it, but I've been told it was, it was like you got to calm down, buddy. And uh, he's gotten better at that. Had some slip ups this year. Realized he had to change, and he has. I I, I agree. That that was an excellent point by you. So let, let's get back to this backcourt because I want I really want to dive into it a little bit more. Uh, for our listeners, Isaiah Wong is a kid from New Jersey who UConn recruited. Uh, ends up going to Miami to play for Laranega. Um, played a couple of years at Notre Dame High School in Mercer County in New Jersey and then ended up in the Philadelphia Catholic League. I mean, he's their leading scorer. Uh, Pack, of course, is the kid that that uh, everybody knows because of the $800,000 NIL deal that was signed when he transferred and there was uh, bad publicity about that. And then you're right. Jordan Miller uh, matches Christian Leitner's record of of uh, having 100% field goal and 100% free throws. I think he was, you know, seven for seven and 10 for 10 from the free throw line the other day. Gets a FaceTime call from Christian Leitner. Uh, University of Miami put that up on their website. So that was kind of cool. So this is a much heralded backcourt. And I know Hawkins is part of the backcourt. Obviously, you can't talk about the UConn backcourt without him. But if there is an edge that that Miami has, you alluded to it with this three-headed backcourt. Um, and the one weakness that people have talked about all season with UConn is, has been their point guard play, although Tristan Newton have, has been better of late. So what does UConn intend to do to match up against this backcourt? Well, it's interesting because as great as Miami's backcourt has been, um, and they're very good shooters. They shoot well from three-point land. I think they were first or second in the ACC in three-point shooting. Yeah. Um, but they didn't even have to do that um, in their uh, regional finals game because uh, they weren't hitting from three, so they were taking it strong to the hole. I don't think they hit a single three-pointer in the second half of that win over um, over Texas. So um, they've proven they can beat you from the perimeter, but they can also prove that they can take it to the hole and, and beat you driving to the basket. So – it's going to be a conundrum. Now, here, here's one thing that's um, it's interesting. The game, of course, being played in NRG Stadium, the home of the Houston Texans, a huge, vast football stadium with 
with the, um, you know, the depth perception issues for shooters. And, you know, you hear that every year. And it, I think it is an issue. I mean, it, I play basketball and, you know, certainly not at the collegiate level, but I, I know that it's not fun shooting at a, at a basket that looks like it's kind of sitting in the middle of, you know, outer space or something. It's just, it's, right. it's difficult. It's different. So both teams have to deal with that. Now, who does it affect more? I mean, you know, Miami uh, is, is, is a very good shooting team, but they've proven they can win without hitting threes. UConn really, de- really uh, depends on the three, especially Jordan Hawkins, but by the same token, they've got great inside players. So I think that's going to be interesting to see who can, perhaps win the game without relying on um, the, the, the three point shooting as much. That, that's And, and from what I understand, Dave, I don't know if you're aware of this, maybe you can back me up on this when they go into these domes and, and every game, you know, these games have been in the dome since 1996. The last one was at the Meadowlands. Usually they cut off half the stadium and they bring in temporary seating. I think they're putting this in the middle. So the entire football stadium is in play, if I'm not mistaken. Did you see that? Or are you aware of that? I don't know what the situation is. I know when they played in Houston in 2011 that um, that did not happen. If I'm not, and, of course, we ended up with one of the uglier national championship games. Now, uh, UConn's defense was was just terrific in that game, but neither team shot well, particularly Butler. Butler was just couldn't yeah, like 18% get anything in that. if I recall. Yeah. Something crazy. Yeah, so um, you know, I know the the final fours I've been to that I can recall. Um, certainly, Dallas wasn't like that, and um, I don't believe no. In fact, uh, I know that uh, Detroit in two thousand nine. Yeah, you could just see how vast it was, and um, it's tough to shoot against. So we'll see what they do this weekend. But um, you know, it could be an issue. If it is an issue, Dave, the 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 big advantage that I want to talk about, of course, is the size of UConn because um, they have been bludgeoning people inside Sonogo. I would say he's playing his best basketball of his career. And when he comes out and you can bring in a Donovan Klingon, there's no team like that. I think he's got nine blocks and in, in the tournament in the four games, averaging seven points, five rebounds. Uh, that That's quite a luxury to have when you're trying to, you know, take advantage of Sonogo being out. And here's this seven foot two, you know, agile, athlete coming in there who who's better defensively yeah you know Sonogo is you know not the greatest defensive player in the world by any stretch so he goes to the bench and he can dominate you on offense but he goes to the bench and you figure oh maybe we can um make something happen here and then all of a sudden you got like you said seven foot two long arms uh not only blocking shots but just uh influencing everything that goes on and, and keeping keeping offensive players out of the paint and you can, you can just see it in their eyes. They, they see Klingon there and they turn right around. So, and also, and contributing offensively too, you know, he's so big and tall that he, um, he grabs rebounds, offensive rebounds. He can catch lobs for dunks and he's got a little skill around the hoop. So it's uh, it's an incredible weapon for UConn. Like you said, nobody else in the country really has this. And uh, even though it's the year of the big man, there's a lot of great bigs in the country. Nobody has a, a one, two punch like that. No, no doubt. So, all right, Dave, two more questions. Um, Before I get to your prediction, give me an X factor uh, for both teams. Well, for UConn, I think the ultimate X factor is Andre Jackson. Uh, He's the guy who just can completely dominate or completely influence a game without scoring a lot of points. Just does a little of everything. So athletic, so dynamic. Um, defensively 
very, very good, long, six foot six athletic defender. Beautiful distributor of the ball. He's, he's great, great passer. He's averaging, I don't know what the average is. I'm not looking at it right now, but he's been grabbing rebounds like crazy. Yeah, near um, triple-double, too. Yeah, he, he's flirting with triple-double almost every game. Um, he's kind of the X factor. You know, um, Jordan Hawkins can 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 hit a shooting slump. Uh, Adama Sanogo could get in foul trouble. And, and, you know, they have guys who can come in and sort of, like you said, Donovan Klingon, or maybe someone else gets hot, Joey Calcaterra, Naheem Aleen, or even Tristan Newton. But Andre Jackson, you know, there's no one like him. He's very unique. The way as he goes, UConn typically goes. As far as Miami, I mean, you know, X factor. I mean, it's hard to say. I think that um, it'll be interesting to see how their front court can match up against UConn. Their the size, this is great size disadvantage. But as Jim Laranega pointed out uh, on, a, on a call the other day, uh, George Mason had a significant size disadvantage against UConn in 2006, and that worked out well for them. So we'll see. Hey, listen, 73 years old, this guy can still coach. He can dance. Uh, he's going to the Hall of Fame. This this guy, he he's amazing. You know, taking two, uh, you know, I'm not going to say nondescript programs, but there certainly weren't power programs to a Final Four, and not many people have have that resume. So at the end of the day, Dave, Monday night, if UConn gets by Miami, um, is your prediction that UConn will cut down the nets and hang number five back in Gamble Pavilion or no? Sure feels that way, you know. Um, I think that if they are able to get by Miami, and there's certainly no guarantee that they will, um, and they end up facing San Diego State, and again, no guarantee that happens either. Right. Atlantic has proven to this point that you can't take them lightly in the slightest bit. But I think San Diego State would give them the tougher battle because they play a, a slowed-down, defensive-oriented oriented slog it out almost a big east style of play and they do it very well um and of course they're well coached and i think they would give you can you know it could uh, it could actually end up looking a little bit like uh 2011 against butler but it's hard to pick against the huskies right now i mean you know anything can happen and, and, and nothing would shock me um i mean florida atlantic would shock me a little bit if they won the national title but I think right now you have to go with UConn um, winning it all at this point. It's all lined up there for UConn. You know, they're coming out of the West. Uh, another Final Four in Texas, where they've won three of their four national championships. I mean, Dave, right. the signs, the signs we, we can go on and on. These signs are there. So yeah. uh, we'll see. When it's all said and done, um, I hope you and I are right. So great talking to you and, and uh, enjoy the Final Four. This is, by the way, what number is this for you, Dave? Uh, this will be my fourth. Um, I, I've seen two titles, and then I, I was in there in 09 when they lost to Michigan State at Ford Field in Detroit, which Jim Calhoun still complains about as an unfair advantage. Uh, <laughs> and But they almost got Texas in Houston uh, this weekend, and right. Miami Miami changed that. So And if, and if the stars had aligned right, they could have gotten Houston, so in Houston. So, yeah, yeah. Right. a couple of uh, opportunities there. All right, Dave, uh, great job. Good talking to you, and uh, safe travels to Houston. All right. Thanks, Brian. Good talking to you. Take care. All right. Dave Borges has his prediction. You heard mine. I, I think UConn wins it all. I know I'm not going out on a limb here. Uh, like him, I like San Diego State. Brian Dutcher just does an amazing job. If there's one team defensively that they remind me of, it, it's it's St. Mary's. 
you know, and, and how they just uh, defend you uh, like a Rutgers even. Those are teams that come to mind, just play great defense, you know, on the ball. Their rotation is really good. They're able to, you know, cut down the angles. They're able to recover and and really not give you much room to run your offense. Uh, but if any team can overcome that, it's UConn. This team was built, as Danny Hurley has said, it was built to withstand the rigors of the Big East and excel in the non-conference against non-Big East teams. And you're seeing exactly what's happening when you build this roster and teams and players, the players are executing the game plan. Confidence and execution. UConn has it right now. In the end, I think they will hang a fifth championship banner in stores and separate themselves, say bye-bye to Kansas and move into a tie with Duke and Indiana. I mean, if you look at the teams that have won national championships, it's UCLA at the top with 11, it's Kentucky with eight, it's North Carolina with six, Duke and Indiana have five apiece, Connecticut is tied with Kansas at four, and then behind that, you have Villanova with three. Blue blood. UConn, they have four. Can they get number five? We'll see. Would it shock me if they don't win it all? No, because that's the way this season has gone. For the first time ever, we have no number one, two, or three seeds in a final four. None of the top 12 seeds have made it there. So nothing would shock me. But I'm going with UConn and Danny Hurley to win his first national championship. And Seton Hall fans, how proud would that make you, a native son of Jersey City and a Seton Hall alum, cutting down the nets as a head coach for the first time ever. I'm Brian DeNovellis. Enjoy the Final Four. Enjoy the national championship. Thanks for listening to the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. We'll catch you next week.